God, I work out how to use this. Do I have control? Right. Yes. Which is where's the data projector? Must be around here somewhere. There we go. It's written, what no eye has seen, nor what no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Friends, do you want to see things and hear things and conceive things about the Lord that only he, he can give you by his spirit? Do you want that? I want to take just a minute, or I want you to take just a minute, to gauge your interest level in these things and ask yourself, do I want that? Is that what I've come here this morning for? If you want that, then I want to invite you in this moment, before we look at the text, just to say, perhaps just whisper in your heart or even out loud, Lord Jesus, I want to see you. Lord Jesus, I want to hear you. Lord Jesus, I want to understand you better today. Friends, we're going to discover in this passage from Acts 16 in a moment that God is the constant pursuer of people. Well, now you might like to turn to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to ask Sarah to come up and uh, we're going to read, sort of do this together a bit because I want you to uh, find where we're going on the map. Verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So this is Paul's second journey, missionary journey, uh, marked there. And chapter 16, we enter into part of that journey. And he's been in this area of, well, uh, Lycia and Galatia. Now, the school, scale on that, as you can see, that's, uh, well, 300, 300 kilometres there. So it's a large area in that, uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And from there, after Lycia and uh, Galatia there, Sarah will go on. Verse 7 and 8. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now, just to give it uh, context, as I said, we're, uh, we're up here um, in Phrygia, and they're moving up. They wanted to go up into Bithynia on the Black Sea. That's right across the Black Sea from, from uh, uh, Ukraine. But they were prevented. And... Uh, they wanted to go into Asia. This is the area you would have looked at um, back in March in the book of Revelation where the seven churches are, all of that area. But they were prevented by the Holy Spirit from that too. 
So they travelled presumably along the border right down to Troas. Uh, verses 9 to 12. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So they've, they've ended up down there on the border at Troas and now they catch this uh, ship. Luke has joined them there, goes to the uh, uh, first person and they go across and land there at Samothrace and then go up to ne ne Neapolis and then on to Philippi, where our account is based at Philippi. Thanks. I'm going to stop interrupting uh, Sarah now, and she's going to finish that passage for us. Thank you. From verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practise. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. 
the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into the, his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Thank you, Sarah. <clears throat> well, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and your spirit and how you're faithful to touch us with your love. Your love is steadfast and constant. You are for us. You are with us and you are in us. Increase our faith today, we pray. Convict us of our sin and show us our Saviour who takes our sin upon the cross and dies in our place. May we hear your loving voice as I speak now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God caused, and we heard it in our reading, a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, come over here and help us. And that was when Paul was attempting to head in a quite different direction. Because God pursues people. So we see in this passage Paul and his companions change direction and arrive in Philippi. Well, Paul and Silas have got to be really pumped because they met this special lady called Lydia. And Lydia is hospitable. Lydia has resources to plant a new church in Philippi and thus seeing God birth a new church. Lydia had been praying uh, outside the city gates by a body of water. Apparently that must have been a, a, a common uh, a gathering place for Christians when they pray, prayed. And, and Paul found them there and said uh, to them, he gave the gospel message to them. Now we don't really know how many days or weeks or months or even years Lydia prays before she connects with Paul and Silas. And I'm sure some of you have been praying for certain things for a long time. And I don't, don't just mean a new lead pastor, although I'm sure you've been praying earnestly about that. But I'm pretty sure many of you have burdens on your heart that you've been holding before the Lord and looking to him for his answer. I want to encourage you to hold on because God is for you. There will be a vision of some direction that God will give a person or to, to a people that will say something like, come over here and help us. And someone will respond so that, uh, to that call and bring you the strength and help and resources that you need. Well, Acts 16 uh, if you've got a Bible or a uh, device, you might like to follow uh, as I pick it up at verse 16. 
This is after I've met with Lydia and she's responded to Paul's gospel message and invited them to stay at her house. And now uh, they're going to a place of prayer, this place outside the city gates, presumably the same place where he'd met Lydia. Have you ever gone to a prayer meeting? When you arrive at the prayer meeting, what's your attitude? What are your expectations? What are your hopes? I have to admit I've gone to prayer meetings that I organised and I sort of think, well, I better be there. I organised it. I better show up. And I have a feeling that when that happens, my expectations aren't necessarily that high. But here's what I can tell you about prayer meetings. I have never left a prayer meeting wishing I had been somewhere else. You see, sometimes there is this moment, this thing that happens where getting there is enough. Just showing up is your part and then God does his part. Well, I don't think Paul and Silas are like that. I, I guess they didn't go out saying, well, I guess it's time for prayer now. We better get there and pray. I actually think Paul and Silas are on a high. Maybe they didn't quite understand what the vision of the man of Macedonia meant until they met Lydia and the other believers. But now they're like, this is amazing. This is a miracle. You know, sometimes we're watching God at work in ways we could never understand beforehand. The thing is, we don't see all that he's doing in a place at any given time. I received a letter a while back from a lady who Marie and I had the privilege of ministering to more than 25 years earlier. At the time, this young lady and her family were really doing it tough. All we could do was share her heartache and sorrow and pray with her. We didn't see a miracle, and if I'm honest, I don't know if I really expected one. But here, all these years later, she writes, and after reminding us who she is, she went on, I don't know if you remember my family, but our daughter was born with a severe medical issue and we were initially told she would not live past the two years of age. I was thinking about that yesterday and how much God had blessed us through the years since then. I was particularly thinking how much my faith had grown since that time. My husband and I were so blessed that God positioned people with faith stronger than ours to stand with, it, with us and also to encourage us to grow in faith and to fight for our daughter's life. That was many years ago and our daughter has overcome many battles since then and has grown up to be a very healthy, accomplished woman with her own strong faith in God. The reason I'm writing to you all this time later is to encourage you that the seeds that you and Marie sowed in us so long ago that you didn't see grow have certainly pr produced and are producing a good harvest. We don't know what God's doing. We don't always see immediately the answer to our prayers. But God pursues people like this lady and her family. And Paul and Silas were seeing that God is doing something. And you know what? I love what God's doing. God's pursuing a slave girl. 
who has been demonically possessed by a spirit and only seeks to, who only seeks to steal and kill and destroy her. And God is after this girl to bring her deliverance and healing and salvation and hope. This is no accident here that just happened on the way. This is not an inconvenience of a girl with a loud voice that distracts. This is God intentionally at work. This is God saying, I care about this girl. I pursue people. Every man, woman, boy and girl and this girl who has no hope and is enslaved by her owners and is demonically possessed and I'll free her. So the girl follows Paul and Silas. She has a spirit of divination, of fortune telling. And I'm speculating here, but given her circumstances, I don't think it's a stretch to say that she felt unseen and unloved and unwanted and used. You know, I was blessed to grow up in a secure and caring home. But, you know, even in spite of my parents' love for me, there have been times when I felt unloved and unwanted. Have you ever felt that way? Or do you feel that way? Unseen, unloved and unwanted? Do you want to know why? It's because that is the enemy's agenda. The enemy is going to constantly spit out lies to you. Just to say, just as God says, I am for you, the enemy is going to say, no one's for you. You've got to fend for yourself. Just as God says, I sent Jesus to die for you, the enemy says, no one cares. No one sees. No one wants you. Well, they're his lies. And it's interesting what the slave girl says. She's following Paul and Silas around and, and she's saying this thing, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, that was true. She was speaking a truth. But not in the sense either that she meant it or that the people would understand it. God most high to someone who lived in Philippi would have meant Zeus, or whatever people thought was the top god in the pantheon at that moment. And salvation would not mean what it meant to a Jew or a Christian. In any case, it wasn't the sort of publicity that Paul wanted. He could do without it. And he gets, we are told in some translations, greatly annoyed. I think it's probably a rude Aussie term for that. So does God simply not have compassion on this slave girl? Did he only cast out this demon because he's fed up? Well, I don't really know what Paul's motive was. But I can say this with certainty. That this book, from cover to cover, explains the motive of God. And the motive of God for this slave girl and for you and for me is to deliver and heal and forgive and free and restore. Did you notice Paul does not speak 
to the girl. He speaks to the spirit. And he commands the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. You see, this commanding and the name of Jesus is saying, I command you, not under my own authority, power and resources, but I command you under the authority of the King of Kings. And the Bible says when we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. You do have the power and ability because of Jesus, because of him, to cast demons away. And Luke tells us it came out at that very moment. What happened to the girl? Well, tradition says, and this makes sense, this little church in Philippi, this, this young church, immediately embraced her and immediately helped her. And straight away she was brought into a community where she was seen and wanted and loved. But you know, when her owners saw that their hope of money, making money was gone, Friends, what has happened to us as human beings to where we will use people instead of loving people, instead of loving them? What happened to the hardness of heart that these owners to where instead of going, whoa, she's different, she actually looks better, that we would only care about our own selfish gain and agenda to the point of seizing people, dragging them into the marketplace and putting together a mock trial full of lies and then these leaders that are supposed to maintain the peace go along with the mob and have Paul and Silas' clothes ripped off and order a public beating with wooden rods. And then they put in the high security section of the prison. prison. Did you catch that? It's, they were put in the inner cell, the inner part of the jail. And their feet are fastened in the stocks. But now, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. This could possibly be one of my favourite passages in the whole book of Acts because they change the narrative. And when you look at the world right now in our news, in our country, in our situation, in current events that are constantly bombarded to us through the media, Christians are called to change the narrative because we know the end. We know who wins. Hallelujah. But that doesn't mean that we aren't troubled. When I ask my grandson, I can talk about him because he's not here in Queensland sunning himself. When I asked him, to recount the story a while back, he, he knew the story. And I asked him about it, and he said he thought Paul and Silas felt that he thought felt that uh, Paul and Silas were happy. I think that's a pretty good description from an eight-year-old. Paul and Silas were praying and singing to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. But you see, that doesn't mean when they got hit with these wooden rods that they didn't hurt. What I imagine is they're kind of like this, holding their head, wondering how bad their injuries are. 
Perhaps it wasn't a matter of, do I have broken bones, but how many broken bones do I have? But Paul and Silas look up. And you know, this is how our state of heart trumps our circumstances. It all matters how and where we look. And they look up first. And guys, their look up is probably not very high because it's an inner security cell of the prison and the ceiling is likely very low and there are probably no windows and we hear their feet are locked in the stocks but they look up and they're able to see past the ceiling. They're able to see the sky and they see the one who made the stars in the sky and they go, Really, it only looks like we're in prison right now. It only seems like that's where we're at. I'm reminded what the Bible says about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that blessing, blessing that strengthening of the spirit inside Paul and Silas begins. It comes to them in the midst of terrible circumstances, in a horrible situation, and they look up. But they don't only look up, they look around, and they see that there are other prisoners there, and they're listening. There are people around them, just like there are people around you and I. And for those who know that you are a Christian, guess what? They're looking at you. They're studying you. They're looking at the way that you and I respond to circumstances and things when we don't get what we want, when things aren't going smoothly. And if we respond the same way the world does, and I have, I admit, and I often do, but you see, Christians are called to change the narrative. Paul, who writes to these Philippians, says later, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? So Paul and Silas open their mouths and they sing. And you know what? I, I don't know if they had voice ability or talent or great vocal cords but it's spirit-filled and it's a sacrifice of praise when their circumstances dictate that they should do ex exactly the opposite. And they're singing hymns to God and the other prisoners are listening. Paul and Silas are not free, but they're acting like they're free. And something about Paul and Silas acting like they're free because really in Christ they are, causes the other prisons, prisoners to listen and take notice. So in verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. Friends, this is no ordinary earthquake. I've been in a few serious ones in Papua New Guinea, but I've never heard of one like this. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. This is a manifestation of the presence and power of God at work. 
And God is very strategic in how he works. He only opens the doors of the prison and takes off the shackles from the wrists and feet like everything else is okay. And if you watch the TV news at all, you'll know that earthquakes do not just open doors and release shackles, but it seems like there's no other damage to this prison and everybody is free. In verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. If you're a Roman guard, a prison guard under Roman law, and your prisoner gets loose, you die. You're killed in his place. This is probably a retired Roman centurion and as such would be <clears throat> held in a great deal of respect. But Paul shouts, don't harm yourself. We're all here because God pursues people. And God is not just pursuing a God-fearing seller of purple and a slave girl. God is pursuing a Roman jailer, a Philippian jailer. Now, guys, thankfully, I haven't been in prison, but this is a miracle of God, and they're all still there. Every door is open, and probably some of these prisoners are like, this is my chance, I'm off. But all of them stay put. The jailer rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Every sign and wonder and miracle of God, an exorcism of a demon, are signposts to this question. What must I do to be saved? It's the most important question you can ever ask. And Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Notice it's not do these five steps because five and the 500 or the 5,000 steps, they have already been done for you when Jesus on the cross cried, it is finished. It is finished. Your salvation depends on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And the empty tomb and your ability to trust, which is a miracle from God in itself. They spoke the words of the Lord to him and then all who were in his house. And he, that is the jailer, took them the same night. And check this out. He washed their wounds. There's a gentleness and a compassion that comes over this man now that is, humanly speaking, really impossible to explain. He brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Guys, there's a God-sized hole in every human. And God is pursuing you and pursuing me. And that pursuit does not end once we become believers. It continues. He continues to pursue us. 
And that's an amazing thing. Well, I need to draw this to a close. But if our main point today is, can our faith trump our circumstances, then I want you to think about your present circumstances. What is it that makes it hard for you to sing praises to God right now? And then another thing that hit me as well, what's at stake if you don't sing praises to God? What's at stake if my heart, in my heart I'm not set on changing the narrative? Well, the first, first thing at stake is I sacrifice my own joy and peace and assurance of God with me. And perhaps an affluent lady, a seller of purple, does not get saved. Perhaps a slave girl stays in a state of demonic possession. Perhaps the Philippian jailer remains unsaved. Paul and Silas at midnight singing hymns and praises to God. They change the narrative. What needs to be changed for you? What do you need to begin believing more wholeheartedly? And how are you going to get there? There's lots of ways God can get us there, but in this particular text we've just looked at, it's through prayer and singing. Singing praises. Singing and praising is an act of spiritual warfare. And it's a war, but Paul is able to say at the end of his life, I fought the faith, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Friends, God pursues us still. He keeps us. He's for us. He delivers from evil spirits and he is the one who breaks chains and opens prison doors, causes earthquakes that break shackles. And now may he get the glory as we sing his praises together. Father, lift our spirits that we may indeed sing the praises of you who has called us out of darkness, out of prison, to be free and live in the light, to change the narrative and to be the people you created us to be. In Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.